I'll just check and see if this microphone's working. What do you think, Al? Is that working? Oh, great. And I got some feet. There, great. How y'all doing? Well, I feel kind of like, you know, I don't know, a weak hitter. I mean, last week they started off with the bishop, and uh, he's got the robes, and he's an amazing speaker, and he's been around the world, and he blessed and slapped the kids. It was amazing. And, uh, and then they got me out here. So, But thank y'all for coming. I appreciate that. And, uh, and this is a, an amazing, and I'm really excited about this uh, First Things First teaching series. Uh, I sat down with Tyler for a, a while on Monday, and we looked at that together. And last week was the, the overreaching and undeniable preeminence of Christ. He is Lord over all. And then as you look through Colossians, what does that mean for believers? So, uh, oh, oh, I forgot my notes. But you know what we need to do? It's a sermon. We have to tell a sermon joke, right? You have to always tell a sermon joke. That's like the rule. And, and Bailey knows that I don't tell jokes very well, so I'll point at you when it's time to laugh, okay? It's true. So Billy Graham is probably one of the greatest preachers we've had, considering that he began his ministry back in the 50s, and as media exploded across our nation, so did his ministry. So he's probably preached to more people in human history than anyone we know. And back in the early days, he would travel around by bus and visit little towns and set up his revivals, and he'd do his preaching and the story is one day he was walking around town collecting his thoughts and actually looking for a post office to mail some letters. He saw a young man walking by. He said, excuse me, sir. He said, uh, young man, do you know where the post office is? Um, I don't know where it is. And the young guy goes, looked at him kind of crazy, this big tall fellow. He said, sure, the post office is two blocks down the left. And he said, thank you so much. And being the man of God he was, he said, let me take this opportunity to tell you. If you come to the auditorium tonight, I'll show you the way to heaven. He had looked at him very strangely and said, I don't know about that. You don't even know where the post office is. <laughs> See, that's the joke. All right, that's good. That's my sermon joke for the day. All right. <laughs> I think that it's very common in America that we're all a little bit concerned or a little bit confused about where heaven is. And we got a little bit, you know, strange ideas come out. And that's what happened in Colossians, the exact same thing. The, the, the church there in Colossae, very similar to St. Paul's, Say very similar to Somerville. Think about this. They were used to be the city of the area, right there in Turkey. They used to be the trade route. They were famous for their wool making and their dyeing, and they were the place to go. A hundred years ago, Somerville was the place to go. It was one of the meccas of places to go get the cure or to go take the vapors or whatever you want to do. And you come get a health retreat, a health spa here. And then along came other cities like Laodicea, and they became financial districts, and other religious districts popped up, and Colossae shrank in size and significance. And here's this church there. And in this church, they have a, a lot of influx of thought from the Greek and Roman thought of, you know, of philosophies and gods. And then they have a big influx also of Jewish thought. There's some Jewish groups there they have been established. And they're very strict. As you see in the readings today, you saw the readings that said, don't handle this, don't touch that. And the laws were there. These, are, these people believed in the laws. And then actually there was a third stream. So you had this one stream of the Greeks, one stream of the Jews, and the third stream actually was from the trade routes. We got a lot of Eastern mysticism was coming in. And there's all kind of thoughts of, you know, uh, maybe, and you'll see later as you read through Colossians, the angels or the significance of spirituality or spiritual experiences. And all this got mixed up. And what the Colossian church was trying to do was to bring it all together and keep it all together at the same time. Let's, well, we can make Jesus work with all this stuff. And they were mixing it all together at the same time. 
So you have the confusion of Greek philosophy, and, and you have the confusion of the, the Jewish rituals, and then Eastern mysticism all being mixed into Jesus Christ our Savior. And Paul's saying, no, that's not the way it's going to work. That's not going to happen. I think it's the same true really today. I don't know about you guys, but that's my feeling. America is a great melting pot. We like to melt in all the thoughts and bring everything together. We don't like to say anyone's wrong about anything. And so, yeah, you can have this thought, and you can have that thought, and you can have even this other thought, and you can still come to church. It's all fine. And in Colossians, we see this push against it. And so I had this brilliant idea with Tyler to maybe go through all that amazing history. And then I got sleepy. And I said, Tyler, if I'm getting sleepy, then I don't think this is going to work. And so we thought about what are three ways that we today as a church in America, right here in Somerville, get distracted? What thoughts are coming in at us that's confusing our thoughts of Jesus? And so I'll throw one at you, which is, uh, let's say, stuff, right? We always get distracted by stuff. This is something that always blocks our, our view of God is the stuff. We, we love stuff. Well, maybe you guys don't love stuff as much as I love stuff. I love stuff, all right? And maybe you're innocent. Maybe you're sitting here. You're a, a wonderful monastic person who drinks water and eats bread. But I love good food. I love Briar's ice cream. I love my cell phone. I love my laptop. I love my other laptop. I love my other computer. I love my cell phone. The, the youth group knows how many cell phones have I had, like dozens of cell phones. We like stuff, right? Got to have a nicer car, you know, Got to have the iPad, no, iPad 2, no, new iPad 3, more and more stuff. And that's what we get distracted by, isn't it? But what's really odd is this is such a terrible, terrible little cycle, isn't it? We want stuff, we get our stuff, right? We depend on our stuff, our stuff breaks, now we're in a crisis, we need to have more stuff, right? I do that, you know, my laptop goes down, memory has to get wiped. The filtering system on my other laptop crashes it. The Wi-Fi in my house goes off. Now we can't use anything we're using. Suddenly, I'm in a crisis. And we're like, you know, should we buy more stuff or be patient and get it fixed? Do, do y'all experience that ever? Maybe the house. It's a beautiful house. You love the house. You bought the house. Eight years go by. I can't believe we're still living in this house. You ever do that? You get a new job. This is wonderful. So those things happen to us all the time. Uh, I want you to think about it with me. What was one of the first things you actually bought with your money? That might go back a while. I, I can remember, I thought, because I did the sermon, I've been thinking about this. So uh, thinking, I can really remember being uh, from a divorced family. We didn't have a lot, a lot of money. And, and uh, it was in the 70s, and this huge movie came out called Star Wars. And, of course, as every young man, I wanted to destroy the empire, you know, and be a Star Wars person. And I go to the local store, and there's all the Star Wars stuff. You know, rows and rows and rows of Star Wars stuff. But I couldn't afford it. Mom said, you have to pay for it yourself. Now, you can ask my mom. She's sitting right there. Maybe I remember the story wrong. But this is what I remember. I remember thinking I had to save up. I had to do my chores. I had to pick up pine cones. I had to sweep the... the, the patio, whatever. I mean, I was trying to save money, save money to spend several dollars on Star Wars. It was a big deal for me. So I get to the the, uh, store. Have you guys ever done this before? Remember your first thing you ever bought? And this is your own money. You're so excited and you have it in your hand. And I can choose any of the Star Wars things I want because I can pay for it. 
course, I probably spent an hour in the store looking at Star Wars stuff. And I decided, of course, to pick the funniest people in Star Wars, which were the droids. Remember the droids? Let's see a picture of R2-D2 and C-3PO. Remember those guys? Yeah, so there's a picture of the two androids, the little robots, and they talk to each other, and they're really funny, and they're cute, and they were hilarious, and I was really young. I thought, this is the best part of the story. They can talk to each other and play, and you know, we can have uh, amazing conversations. And, and then we can also just, you know, they were the, really the heroes because they were the coolest. And then, uh, so I bought that stuff, and my next door neighbor, great kid, spoiled rotten, you know, I show him my, my droids. He's like, oh, yeah, well, I got this one. And he brings out this guy, Darth Vader. As soon as I see Darth Vader in my backyard, I'm like, oh, of course Darth Vader's cooler. He's wearing all black. He's got a sword that comes out. You can make the sound effects, which most, most boys know how to do. Girls probably like, mm, wasn't an impressive part of my life. But as soon as I saw Darth Vader in my backyard, I was like, oh, I had a sinking feeling. I hated the ones I bought. You, see, you know what I mean? You've ever done it before? You buy something, you're so excited about it, and then somebody shows you something else, you're like, oh, I should have never bought the thing I bought. You ever done that? Yeah, stuff. Stuff is vicious. And with the whole time I'm holding on to stuff in my life and looking forward to stuff in my life and saving money for stuff in my life is all the tension I'm not giving the Lord. So that's one barrier. That's one thing we mix in to our faith and we get confused. How about another thing we mix in? Is this a little bit harder, but it's, I think it's status. I think status is confusing to us. And there's a lots of ways to measure status. It was interesting, I was reading a, um, an article about a status, a guy who wrote an entire book. He said uh, about class system in America. He said it was the hardest book he ever wrote because Americans hate class. He said if he told someone he's writing a book on class, uh, he would get either people who thought it was funny and entertaining or people who were angry with him and said, there, are, there is no class. We're a free society. And they become very angry about it. And what he discovered was that middle class people are most anxious about status because we're trying to get our money together, get our education together, get together the right clothes and housing and the right schools to get ahead in life. People who are economically lower didn't really care. They saw all status as being just completely related to money. And if they didn't have money, who cares? A bunch of rich people run around in their fancy cars and they just you know, key it or smash the window, and they don't really care about that. And yet it's really interesting that the people of the upper class and most economically aware in our society thought status was related not to money at all. It was related to behavior. It was related to the way we, you know, had our, like, you know, let's see, how can I say that? Our manners, our language, you know, who we associated with. Not just that you played at the band, but you played violin in the band first violin. That's status. My son plays a trombone. Oh, really? And it was interesting how that, uh, that status like that becomes really interesting with us and becomes a tension point. And some of us spend a lot of time, uh, I mean, I'm not innocent of this, thinking about our status. There's also family status. I know from South Carolina, we like our families, right? I know people, I, 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 I'm guilty of this. So what kind of name is Oland? That's kind of a strange name. And with a little bit of pride, I'll go, well, you know, <clears throat> the first Olands were from Charleston. And uh, in fact, if you go there right off of Calhoun Street, you'll see the Oland house. Really? Yes. Family pride. I, my, my brother told me that when he first became a priest at Edisto, I, 
I said, what's it like? He said, the interesting thing is, being down at Edisto, is that people say, where are you from? He said, I'm from Florence. They go, oh. It's kind of a downer, because obviously you're a foreigner. You know, you're from Florence. He said, but I was born in Charleston. Oh. And then that was okay. So suddenly he was a local boy. And he said he had many, many families change their mind about him because he was local. He was born in Charleston, so therefore he's a Charleston man. Even though he, raised, he was raised his entire life in Florence, from the age 5 to 18 or whatever he was when he graduated. We have status with our families, don't we? And the last thing I'll just point out is generational status. This is something we struggle with. And maybe not so much for everybody in this room, but I know it's a struggle with my generation. You have the great generation that you know, survived the Great Depression, fought the Great War, made great changes in our society. Their children came along, the baby boomers. They experienced you know, the, the, the amazing moral and um, social changes of the 60s. And they survived all that, and they went on to uh, you know, succeed. So you have that. And then we have what I call all the rest of us. Because when I read like, the whole sociological articles, and that's really important with youth ministry, to look at soci- you know, sociology and generational stuff, they can't even keep the names right. Is it Generation X or Y or Millennial or Mosaic? And it all gets jumbled up into what I call just the others. You know? What, and what do we have? And what happens is because we put our eyes on our status, because we get distracted by how far we can go in life and by what we stand for, we lose, we lose it. We try to mix that into our faith, but we have nothing. So in 1999, there was this movie called Fight Club that was put out, and um, a lot of guys saw it. Probably none of the women in here saw it. I apologize to the ladies. Um, but in it was Brad Pitt, which is probably a reason to go see it if you're a lady. So in it was Brad Pitt, and, uh, and he would rail against the status quo. And in one of his, in one of his big speeches, his, his rousing speeches, he said, you know, we are the missing generation. We don't have the Great War. We didn't have the Great Depression. The Great War is a spiritual war of our souls. The Great Depression is ourselves. And it just shows you a, a picture of how lost some generations are and don't know where they are in their status. And they take that into Jesus and they get confused. So the last thing is what? Now this is really weird. You're thinking, okay, so we got things, stuff that distracts us, and we got status that distracts us, and what else can we have? Well... Actually, it's Sunday. Sundays distract us. Because it's so easy to come and show up at church at least a couple times a year and say that you're a Christian. It's really easy. You know, it's pretty funny. It was in youth ministry I've learned. Uh, and I almost never ask kids, do you go to church? I always ask them which church they go to. Because for literally 20 years, I meet kids in schools and out and about. They almost always go to a church at least around here, at least in South Carolina. It's so easy to show up on Sundays. Isn't it interesting? So we don't have this great you know, decision to follow Christ. That's, that Sundays is just an easy place to be. In a recent, uh, in, uh, a recent in survey with uh, the Barna organization, George Barna has an amazing statistician, and he has a whole uh, army of people that do this research. And they did a real recent study about Christian faith in America and found that 43% of people who identify themselves as Christians, yes, I'm a Christian, 43% think, though, 
any religion will take you to heaven. And then it's it right down the line because then you have 54% who said, no, only Christianity can get you to heaven. And apparently 1% of us did make a comment about that. But um, a great confusion, even among people who self-identify and say, yes, I'm a Christian, aren't really sure what that means and what that means eternally. So there's a great confusion in our lives about what is Sunday all about? You know? It's so easy to say it. Often if you ever talk to someone about, you know, have you ever, I don't know if you ever tried this before, actually asking someone, hey, do you think you'll go to heaven? And some, often the answer is, yes, of course. And if you're really daring, you can ask why. And often the answer I hear is, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't cheated on my wife. I haven't, you know, robbed anybody. And what that, te- what that tells me is this. People think if I act nice and I'm a good person, I'll just go to heaven. And they have no idea what Sunday is all about. So Sundays can actually be really confusing to us. What does Jesus say? Let's look at, let's look at the key verse, if you don't mind. There's a verse in Colossians 2 that I think is so, so clear and helps us to, to look at this as Paul's trying to pull apart all the false doctrines that the Colossian church is going through. And he's trying to say, let me pull this apart for you. Therefore, as you receive Jesus, Christ Jesus as the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you are taught abounding in thanksgiving. He makes it so clear. How were you called? We all were called. To be a Christian, you'd be called by God. So number one, you're called. As you're called, now walk in him. Jesus Christ didn't die that anybody can just wander into heaven believing whatever. Jesus said Christ didn't die, so you can hang on to all your stuff and just kind of hope that you make it. Jesus Christ did down the cross so you could, you know, put on your tombstone, I wish I'd spent more time in the office. I wish my house was bigger. Jesus Christ didn't die so you could show up on Sunday and live like heaven, and then in the seven, next six days of the week, live like hell. Jesus Christ died. They call us to be disciples. And what the heck is a disciple? Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. I love it that we have these plants up here that we put with our stones of remembrance that we say we're rooted in Christ. Rooted and growing in Christ. That's the sense that, you know, I was going to tell you, I was going to try to tell you some fancy story at the end of the day because it's always nice to end on a fancy story and Tim says I have to shut up in a minute. Um, but what I really thought about was, I don't know if y'all were around on January when we did our little devotional uh, first thing first card, we did all that stuff. I felt really kind of bad, because I've kind of been putting the same thing for a couple of years now. And I didn't want to say that to you guys. And then I realized, if you look at this verse, that's actually an okay thing to do. Because instead of, instead of that being a symbol that I have failed, it's a symbol that maybe somehow... I'm trying to be rooted. Because, see, I'm used to microwaving things. They end up fixing an amazing meal, and then I'll microwave it for three days. And that's what I do, right? And society is, is really quick. And we are very competitive. And we're very goal-oriented. And if we can't get all those things nailed by this year, then somehow we failed. In my, my mind, I'm thinking I'm failed because I keep repeating the same things every year on my commitment card. I need to work on this. I need to work on this. But I think maybe the opposite's true. Maybe we need to work on it because we need to work on it and get rooted in it. 
And when you root something down, I'm not a really good gardener, but I'm thinking that's something you got to work on. Who in here has a garden? Raise your hands. Anybody got a garden? Okay, good. You guys know, I have no idea. Don't you have to like work on something more than once? Is that true? That's probably why I don't have a garden. All right, so you actually walk out there and you actually tend to it and take up with it and you pull the weeds and you put the fertilizer down, you put the wrong fertilizer down, it kills one thing and makes the other thing grow. You got to pay attention to that stuff. So you got to root yourself in Christ Jesus again and again and again. And as you walk in him, it's a really interesting word because walk right there doesn't mean just to like walk along or to follow. It means to walk in the nature of, to emulate the character of someone. So this is the deal. As Jesus Christ has called us, it's an amazing thing. So this is the last thing. If Jesus is really a rabbi and, really, really, and we are really disciples, then this really interesting thing has happened. You should be covered in the dust of Jesus' feet. A rabbi would call a kid. Imagine these young men and women in this room has studied their, 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 um, their Talmud. They studied their first five books of the Bible for a while. And then they studied the rest of the books of the Bible. And they passed those things. Then they got to study the writings of all the rabbis. And around age 13, you graduate. And the only way you move on in, in, your, in your religious studies is to go to a rabbi and beg him to take you on as a disciple. Age 13, you're going to know the entire Bible by memory, plus all the writings of all the, of, of all the other rabbis, and you're going to beg this rabbi who might wander through your town to take you on. As a, as a, and it's always disciple begging the rabbi, please, please, please take me. He'll test them, he'll question them, he'll give them a hard time. And, it, this, and the, one, of the, one of the images is, they gave in the rabbinical text is the rabbi walks through a dusty town and the kids are following by him, behind him so close that the dust of his feet is coming up and getting on them. And, and the one who follows him the closest and is covered with the most dust becomes the disciple. We don't just come to church on Sundays. I'm asking you just to say a prayer one day and then say you're a Christian. I'm saying we should walk in him. We should be covered with the dust of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're like me and you don't really do that all the time. So this week, try one thing. Maybe try coming to worship next week a little early and praying before we start singing and saying, this is going to mean something to me today. Maybe it's saying, I'm going to show up for my small group this week and I'm going to be honest. Maybe it's saying, instead of just glancing through my devotional this week, I'm actually going to meditate on it and ask God to speak to me. Maybe it's instead of saying, I'm so busy with all my stuff, I'm going to ask God, who do you want me to pray for this week? And pray for them. Just take one step this week to get yourself rooted in Christ and get the dust of the rabbi on your head. And that's my encouragement to you guys. Amen.